Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, we have a lot we need to get to today. Uh, I know there's a really good women's hockey discussion that we want to get into. Some wild stuff in a Vegas Golden Knights San Jose game that also kind of overshadows, not really overshadows, but is overshadowed by some Robin Leonard news as well and ask CJ will come later. But I did not want to start today's episode without acknowledging the passing of an NHL icon, an NHL great in the province that I'm in, someone embedded in the fabric of culture in the province. And of course, I'm talking about Guy Lafleur, who... Uh, His passing was announced last Friday. He had been battling lung cancer. There have been tributes that have been pouring in all across the NHL world. Uh, I was at the game on Sunday with the Canadians and the Bruins, a 10-minute ovation for him. I mean, nothing short of excellence in terms of the tributes. And, you know, it's just been on my mind for the last time he did. So I want us to start there, and I want us to talk about Guy Lafleur, CJ. And I'd like to know your thoughts on everything that's kind of happened over the last few days with this announced passing and the tributes and, and all the well wishes that have been coming out in support of uh, Guy Lafleur's family as well. Well, it's at a time like this, I'm reminded just how unique the Montreal Canadians are. Um, obviously as an organization, the way they do these tributes, but it, you know, that's been discussed a lot. I, I actually mean more in terms of it, it really highlights the, the, the tie they have to their community, to the public um, that, that supports the team. I mean, the fact that Guy Lafleur is going to lie in state at the Bell Center on Sunday and Monday, uh, you know, I, I know they did that with John Bellivo in 2014 and, and Rocket Richard in 2000. I mean, it's not unprecedented for their organization, but, you know, how many sports stars anywhere would be lying in state at, at you know, the, the venue where the team calls home and have the public stream through the doors for eight or 10 hours at a time? To, to pay respects. I mean, that it, it's just, it's really unique. I think it's, it's special. And I do think it highlights, you know, something that makes this organization even among the NHL teams, probably unique. I mean, there's obviously the, the Detroit and the Rangers, the Bruins, the Maple Leafs, the Blackhawks. I mean, these, there's other original six teams that have long histories and, and, you know, have deep ties, but I think Montreal and, and the fact that, you know, especially those Lafleur teams of the seventies that just did so much winning, you know, to carry on from the, what happened 
from the generation before them is it, you know, created something really special for that organization. And so, you know, obviously you think about Guy Lafleur and his family and, and, you know, I've, I've read a lot of the tributes that, that went around since, since Friday when he died, but then, you know, as I stepped a little further back, it's, it's kind of more about just a unique place this organization holds in the sport and, and maybe even in the larger sporting world. I, I just don't think something like this would be common anywhere if any franchise legend were to die. And, and, you know, that, 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 kind of where my brain's been at the last day or so as, as we've sort of processed what's going on there. Well, this just goes to show, even though we've been doing this remotely for a couple of months now, our brains are still kind of on the same wavelength because I too have also been thinking about if there's anyone else across the country outside of Montreal and outside of anyone who's played for the Montreal Canadiens who would deserve this type of treatment. And, and the fact that you mentioned Jean Beliveau and, and Maurice Fichard, who have gone through similar uh, methods of commemoration, yeah, I think those three guys in the Montreal Canadiens organization are three people who are for sure worthy of a state funeral or having their bodies uh, have just out there at the, at the either the form of the Bell Center to, well, at this case, the Bell Center, in this case, for those three men, for people to just kind of come around and see. Uh, seeing people lay flowers at the statue for Guy Lafleur and there's like a pair of gloves and all this other paraphernalia. Like, it, it just made me think, like, who else across the NHL landscape, not even just for all of the other teams, but just in Canada, in a country that is supposed to be hockey crazed as, as it's supposed to be, how many other players outside of Wayne Gretzky, of course, can say that they can get something like this, like what Gila Fleur got from the Bell Center Faithful on Sunday, the state funeral that is to come, and all of that. There aren't too many, if any, people who could get something like this. I've been thinking about this for the last few days myself, and it's really, really interesting to see the generation that got to watch him up close, but the generation, well, my generation, who has to rely on YouTube clips to to really get a sense of what Guy Lafleur was like, just appreciate him the way that he did. And it's been really a bit emotional, but a bit sobering to see so many people show the appreciation for Guy that they've done over the last few days each. Well, some of it's practical. Um, you know, you wouldn't see this happen in many cases because th- there wouldn't be the sort of demand for it. I mean, um, you know, Guy Lafleur 70 years old. It's still too young to die, but, you know, it's not – this isn't necessarily what we would call a tragedy. I mean, unfortunately, this is what happens. You get to a certain age and, and these things do happen. And, but the, still that there would be that, that pent up desire that there would be, you know, this, this state funeral hasn't happened yet, but I think it's safe to say that it's going to be very well attended. It's not as though you're going to open the doors to the arena and there'll be no one there to pay the respects. I suspect of anything, it, there'll be overflow crowding and, you know, even the posted hours they have might, might be challenged in some ways. And so, yeah, it's, I, I can't, I wish I could even explain it. You know, I, I almost see it, but I can't, I can't fully comprehend it. Maybe because I didn't grow up in Quebec. Um, you know, we're talking about a local star in this sense. Um, you know, someone playing for not his hometown team, but, but in the province, you know, could speak both languages, of course, you know, could, was really had appeal that went beyond just this, marvelous achievements on the ice because, you know, let's face it, there's, there's lots of players that have marvelous achievements on the ice. I think what we're highlighting here is something a little beyond the, the goal totals or the fact that he is the all-time franchise leader in points. Um, the fact he won the Stanley Cup five times. I mean, it's, it's deeper than even just those kind of achievements, the, the, the kind of feelings that he evoked in, in 
um, people in his province and, and that love that team. And, and, you know, that's what makes this, this work, this tick, that this makes sense. Um, you know, I don't want to go around and list all the other people in the world that, you know, what, if they're died, how they might be treated, but I don't, I don't think that there would be many, I think it's safe. You're, you're hitting on the right point here is that this, this is unique. And, and again, I think it would be unique in baseball, the NFL, you know, European soccer, um, you know, outside of a tragedy where someone say dies in the middle of their career through some very tragic, unfortunate circumstances. I mean, when, when it's someone this far beyond when he played his last game for the team, I mean, there's just not many situations that would warrant this, this kind of commemoration of life. And, and so, you know, oddly that's, that's sort of where my brain lands um, here. You know, I, I miss Gila Fleur's most of his career, you know, much like Mike Bossy. I mean, we're, we're only a week on from Mike Bossy's uh, death as well. So I only know about him kind of through what's been passed down. I actually do remember a little bit when he came back and played for the Rangers in Quebec um, because there had been a period of years there where he didn't play in the NHL and it was kind of a, this novel thing. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about – I guess at the end of your, if you, if you want to be reflective on your life, it's not just about your achievements, right? It's not about the awards you won or the things you did, even the money you made, all those things. It's about how you impacted people. And what we're talking about here is a man who had immense impact beyond just his family or his immediate friend circle. I mean, an entire province full of people uh, in, at minimum and, and, you know, his reach extended beyond Quebec too. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty special life. And, and that's why this is, a pretty special commemoration of his life that, that we're going to see here in the next week. On the day of the announced passing, uh, one of the shows on TSN 690 in Montreal, uh, one of the hosts, Tony Marinero, uh, he has a show called the Montreal Forum. And in the show intro, one of the clips you hear is the Gila Fleur game tying goal during the 1979 semifinals against Boston. And on the beginning of that show on the Friday, instead of just playing the entire intro, which is like this long campy intro that has eye of the tiger and all these other clips, he just plays the goal call of Guy Lafleur scoring against the Bruins. And then you hear Tony start and he can barely get through the first few minutes. You can hear him take deep breaths. You can hear him cry, sob, he gets a guest on and in between all the different times the guest is talking, you can hear him try to hold back tears. And I mean, that's just one person, but there were so many other people who felt those waves of emotion either publicly or privately, but that's just a sense of what, how people were mourning this in the moment. There was a lot of that, or that at the very least that stuck out to me a lot and a lot of people took to online to post their tributes and all that. But I think that particular, that particular first few minutes of a show I was listening to that stuck out to me the most at how people loved and appreciated a guy like Guy. And in the case of Tony, uh, that's his favorite player. That was his favorite player growing up. And, and he had to, you know, he, he loved him. He loved yeah. him. That's just a sense of what, how people in Quebec really, loved and appreciated Guy. And I don't know how much of the tribute you saw uh, before the Bruins-Canadians game, which timing, I still think timing is wild because Mike Bossy passes away and the Islanders play the Canadians that night and they show on the Jumbotron the photo of Guy and Mike Bossy together. And 
I think that puts a lot of pits in people's stomachs because you're thinking, okay, both these men are battling lung cancer and one person's already lost their fight and everyone's wondering what's going to happen with Guy. And then literally a week later, Guy passes away from the same disease. And then the very the next home game for the Canadians happens to be against the Boston Bruins. And that tribute ahead of that game, again, I don't know how much of it you watched, but as someone who only watched from afar when the team uh, did what they did for John Beliveau and seeing the love and adoration that he got as arguably the most classy man in the history of that franchise and possibly in the NHL, to see people appreciate Guy the way that they did, a 10-minute ovation, that is one of the most special things I have ever seen as as someone who has been in, in sports media for like the last five years or so. That's one of the most special things I've ever seen live. I bet. You know, the one thing, I, I wasn't raised in religion in any organized sort of religious ceremony, so I hope I'm not going to offend anyone by saying this, but I've always thought if you're a real hockey fan or someone who loves the sport that going to Montreal for a big moment is like, would be like what a Catholic must feel when they go to the Vatican or something. Like I've always felt that there is something somewhat religious or spiritual about being in that arena when something big's happening. You know, I, I covered the playoffs. Um, was it 2014 that they went to the Eastern conference final against the Rangers? I, I, I was covering the Canadian series that year, a couple others around that time, I think 2015 against Tampa. Um, so I was in the building for some of those big games and Jeanette Renault comes out and sings the anthem and just, just a feeling and being in Montreal in the spring, walking up to the arena with the weather's turning nice and these, these huge games, all the anticipation, the, the way that arena pops and, and, you know, it's not quite the same what you're talking about, but, but, you know, th- there's just something special in the air r- around the Canadians and, and, you know, they just, there's just something about knowing how to, the touches that, that makes it kind of like the hair on your, your arm stand. And, and again, I, here we're talking about this isn't a team or anything. I grew up with any affiliation towards. I didn't cheer for them. I didn't, you know, I didn't know Guy Lafleur personally. I didn't see him really play any meaningful hockey and you can still have those emotions. I think it says something with the job they did. You know, I, I like Julian, even though they just had the, the dasher boards all white, um, no ads on them and, and just a you know small tribute to Guy Lafleur there. Well done. You know, similar to when they announced a sellout minus one person when John Beliveau died because Beliveau, of course, always sat a few rows behind the Canadians bench and, and they left his seat empty that game and ended a long sellout streak. I mean, it's always these these sort of small touches that I think really connects with people. And, and um, you know, at the end of the day, sports is about people. You know, uh, we, we talk about hockey in a lot of different ways on the show and, and we appreciate different things, but we're not out here breaking down a power play too often. Um, and I respect that people like the sport for that. I'm not, I'm not saying what you have to like in your fandom, but I always thought that, you know, sports is sort of like a reality TV show too. And, and, and it, you know, we, we, the players can be sort of characters in your life. If you're a fan, if you don't have a chance to actually know them personally, you still feel something and you, and you experience things through them. And, you know, I, I think that in Montreal, they just, it, it, it heightens everything to like this higher level. And, and on Sunday night, you saw that, you saw that ovation, all the things you're describing, having been in the building, even not being in the building, I could, I could feel it and, and see it and sense it too. And, and, you know, wow. I mean, again, you've done something really meaningful in your life. If upon your death, these things follow, I mean, you, you've really touched people and 
ultimately what else are we walking around the planet for is to try to make connections and to have a positive impact in people's lives. And obviously Guy Lafleur did that. I saw journalists cry in the press box as that tribute was happening. I was looking around and I saw colleagues wiping tears and, and just trying to make sense of everything that was going on. And they weren't even older people. They were, they were people my age. Like that's, that's what, that's my biggest takeaway from these last few days. Not just that Guy Lafleur was as loved and appreciated as he was in this, in this province. Not, not just that. It's the fact that people at a certain age who didn't even watch Guy or didn't even, or the, their, their main exposure to him is whatever footage is shown at the Bell Center on occasion or YouTube clips or whatever their parents tell them. There's a, a there was a level of appreciation from those from that generation as well, and I've seen that over the last few days, and that's what I think is really special because you'll hear people uh, sing praises of people like Gila Fleur and they got to see him, but it's a whole other thing when a generation after can say that they're able to keep his memory alive by celebrating him in a similar manner to what people who were alive for him we're able to do. I think that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest takeaway with that. Well, thank goodness the building was full. Thank goodness we live in times again where you can have people gather and celebrate them properly. I mean, you know, we, we've hit on this theme a few times over this season, but, you know, something was lost in our lives for two years, especially living in places where, you know, there just was no ability to connect. I think, I, I think that, that unfortunately we connect over happy moments we're going to connect over a lot of happy moments in the playoffs, right? I mean, one fan base is going to have a, a thrill ride for the next eight weeks, you know, starting in about a week's time. Uh, they're going to, they're going to watch their team play four playoff rounds and lift the Stanley cup. And, you know, it might be a team that's never won the cup. It might be a team that hasn't won in a long, long time. And there's long suffering fans. that will be thinking of their, 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 you know, a loved one that might've introduced them to that team or, you know, so we connect around those happy moments. We connect around, you know, moments of, of, sadness too. And, and, you know, I think that's what, what you're probably seeing there in the press box and, and just even in the stands um, with, with that service. And, you know, you want to feel something, man. And that's, it's, it's so exciting to me that the playoffs are upon us like that. We're, I almost want to race ahead five days. I know that's not, not a very uh, mindful way of living, not very stoic of me, uh, but I, I'm just so excited to be in the buildings and to see, that energy. And, and again, it, it comes in negative ways or, or in sad times, but I think it comes in happy times. And, you know, there's, there's not a, there's not a huge gap between those two feelings at times. Like the, those emotions are connected. Um, and so, yeah, people are out there feeling something together again. That's really nice. Last thing I'll mention too, because I don't want to not mention this, but they had a moment before the game where they brought out a list of, Canadians, greats, and they were all able to talk about Guy Lafleur. And actually, on that on that topic of of you know, obviously, what we've all gone through over the last how many years, something kind of really interesting happened. In that they had players like Bob Gainey, Chris Knuckles, Nylon, Rick Green was there, uh, Gaston Jenkra, Yvonne Cournoyer, uh, Sergio Mameso kind of made a cameo appearance. Uh, Pierre Mondou, a couple other guys were there, and they all kind of had him in a line in the big press conference room. And then at different, they all just kind of spread around the room or different parts of the media area. And then different journalists were kind of going up to them 
uh, in scrums. Remember when people were able to do scrums? Like, I think that was like the first scrum, some of those like different media availabilities with those players I was doing. That was the first time I was in a scrum in quite some time. And to hear guys like Knuckles and Rick uh, talk about Guy and seeing them get emotional, Bob Gainey, of course, just talking about him as well. Like that was something really, that was something really special. Even as someone who didn't really get to watch any of those guys in their prime, I just pictured myself if I was a little older and I grew up idolizing most, if not all of those guys, I was in a room with them getting to ask questions. Like that would be like a dream scenario for me, for sure. And even for me, that's just, that's something I did not take for granted, but to hear them go in on, on Guy Lafleur and his legacy and ask them a lot about how, uh, how it must be trying to explain how great Guy Lafleur was to a generation of people who had no idea of what his, his games were really like. And Yvonne, Yvonne Colnoy at one point straight up was just like, you can't, you can't do it. It's really difficult to explain. Uh, like Chris Knuckles was even saying, Hey, you know, uh, say, saying that he was just an icon, it might not register with some kids. Cause you had to be there. You had to be able to experience it. And like, there's a whole thing too with Guy where you could, he could go out and play a game and he can go out and, and celebrate downtown and people could see him and it was accessible. And unfortunately we don't really have that with the players of today. And we're never really going to have that again because of social media and other factors, but it really reinforced the fact that Guy is a one of one was a one of one and he will always be a one of one person, not just for Canadians fans, not just for Montrealers, not just for Quebecers, but I think the whole hockey community in the sports world over, he is someone that will never be forgotten. He is someone whose legacy will be passed down. I think from generation to generation and people will be able to speak of the impact he had. And I think that comforts a lot of people who want to feel something, but also are big fans of the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, I will kind of wrap this part of the podcast up just by saying that uh, it goes without saying that CJ and I obviously send condolences to the family of Guy Lafleur, and he will be missed. So that's a good way to put a bow on that. So bit of a transition here going from Guy Lafleur. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, I wanted to talk about a topic that a lot of people were discussing over the weekend that you actually raised the point about with regards to uh, why there aren't many or any female coaches behind NHL benches. And I, I, before we get into uh, the discussion of, you know, the question itself, or at least the tweet itself you put up, 
I'd like to know like why, what, what led you to think that I'd like to kind of know the etymology of like why you thought, you know what, let me put that tweet out there and let's talk about this. Cause I think this is a really good topic and I think this could lead to a really good discussion. I mean, there's a few things, you know, part of me was thinking it's getting to the end of the season, this regular season. And we're kind of at the period where NHL teams will be making staffing decisions for next year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the next few weeks, that'll happen. Unfortunately, some people are going to lose their jobs. Other people will get hired. Some contracts won't get extended, those types of things. And so this is a, you know, we're entering the period where there's turnover in, in some of those roles on coaching staffs. And, you know, I've been, look, I'm, I've been around a little longer nowadays. Uh, I know you don't like when I point that out, but I think. It's not that I don't like that, uh, that you point it out. It's just, I know when you point it out. But here's the thing. Sometimes when you spend more time around an industry or, you know, business in this case, you just, you, you can reflect in a different way on it. And I was thinking like, you look at the NBA and there are a number of women that, that have assistant coaching roles in the NBA. Major League Baseball has, has added a few. And it just seems to me, it's like one of these things that I've been missing in plain sight a little bit. I'm certainly not alone. It's not that I... I just hadn't consciously really thought that it like it's 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 unusual that that like what are we waiting for a little bit and so it wasn't meant to it's really just like it crossed my mind it seems rather obvious I think if you spend a minute looking at where everything's going in the in the world that this is something that's been missed and that you can't tell me that the top female coaches in the world couldn't belong as the third assistant or second assistant somewhere in the NHL that, that, you know, I'm not saying by any stretch that necessarily like someone's ready to be a head coach in the NHL, but it just seems that because females for so long weren't even considered for those types of jobs. I don't think that's necessarily the case now. And we've seen um, some pretty notable hires in the front offices and, and, you know, that's over a couple of years, you know, even I think of like the Leafs with Haley Wickenheiser, Daniel Goyette. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, it, we, we've seen it trending in this direction. It just seems to me rather obvious that it's about time that, that we expand the, the pool of people that should be looked at for jobs. And so it really wasn't meant to be maybe as controversial as, as it seemed to be. You know, I, I don't want to overreact to people yelling at me on Twitter with an egg account. I mean, that, that everybody gets that with anything you tweet. You could tweet the most innocuous thing and people will come at you. But, you know, it did, the, the initial tweet did you know, come with a fair amount of backlash, not from anyone I know. I mean, again, more from anonymous people on Twitter, but, you know, really I just was having a thought and I shared it and I thought, look, it's entirely possible that this will be just a thought that passes through my mind and I'll put it on my Twitter feed and it'll go nowhere. But in my mind, I was also thinking like, if I am starting to think this way, someone else might be that actually has control over the situation. Someone who might be hiring for a job and maybe it'll make them think. And I have to tell you, Julian, I can't remember a tweet. There's no tweet in recent memory where I got so many text messages from people around the industry. Like I'm talking like 12 to 15 people reached out in the last day or two with their own thoughts on that, you know, thoughts they didn't want to like pile on the thread. Um, and so, you know, it, it, I guess it at least got someone talking or, or what have you. But yeah, I mean, really the etymology as with a lot of tweets, and sometimes I wish I used more discretion with this, I uh, wasn't that deep other than I was just thinking that moment like this, you know, why, why is this not something that's a little bit more front and center? And, and that was it, you know, it wasn't 
wasn't like some, some masterminded thing. It was a Saturday afternoon thought that, you know, turned my mentions into a, into a war zone. So when I saw that tweet and I figured with stuff like that, there's always going to be dummies or could be like, Oh, you're just trying to be woke. Oh, you care about women's hockey, all the stupid BS that we always hear with stuff like that, which is rather unfortunate. I, I tried to like put that aside because I was like, you know what? Like that's not going to be of anyone's time to get into. But what I actually thought of was if your question actually went far enough, if, if your pro, if your, if your thoughts actually went far enough, like it's one thing to look out at different NHL benches and be like, man, like there's no women. I think the question you should have asked was, what is the NHL doing or what are pro hockey teams doing to establish a pipeline for women to actually become coaches? Cause it's not as if they don't exist. Like they, they exist. I funny enough, you're talking about people who reached out to you in the last few days about your, your, your tweet. I had the opportunity to meet both Cassie Campbell, Pascal and Daniel Sauvageau yesterday. And we talked about the threat and we talked about like what could be done to ensure that, women's hockey players or coaches could get those opportunities at the NHL. And they made the point that it's all about perception. Like we have to stop seeing them as just, Oh, well it's women's hockey. And there's all these differences and nuances to the game that wouldn't let them coach at the men's level when it's a lot more similar than we think it's practically the same thing there. And they're, and they've been doing things like taking stock of players, mental health for far longer then what's been going on in the men's game? I, th- I think perception. Yeah, go ahead. Well, let's even move on from that. Let's just talk about X's and O's on the ice. Like there's, there's barely hitting in men's hockey anymore compared to when we were younger. There's, yeah. far, there's far more emphasis on skill. And, you know, obviously one aspect of women's hockey that's traditionally been different for any female that came up either playing or coaching within women's hockey is that there, there isn't been hitting permitted in the sport. I mean, I think that there's just natural symmetry there. Look, any business, every industry, every, no one would not benefit from having a range of people, different backgrounds, different experiences, different ideas to bring to the table. Like it's, that's just a fact. I mean, we all can miss things. You can be well-meaning, well-educated, and and you still, you can't, nobody has a 360 degree view of their own life, of their own business situation. You know, there's always some help that, that can come along. And, and look, I think we are seeing steps here. I mean, right now, as we're recording this, you know, Canada's men's under 18 team is playing in Germany and Corey Chevery is on the bench, you know, with that team as an assistant coach. And she's coached, you know, men's team at, at Ryerson university in the past. She was part of the, the, the team that won gold an assistant coach uh, this year in Beijing at the Olympics. And so, you know, that's clearly someone on the path, in my view, to, to coaching men at the highest level of the sport because of, you know, the, the, the path she's taken. And, and she won't be alone. Uh, I don't think she'll even be alone in the near future here. And, and I actually am not coming at this in a critical manner. And, and I'm not saying you can't be critical, but I just think that this isn't about trying to attack the NHL or NHL teams from where I sit. It's more just about what are we missing? Right. Again, I think if you're running a business, if you're running a sports league, you should be asking yourself, what are we missing? Because I don't think that it's been this huge targeted thing. I really do think that perception has held it back. And it's just the way it's always been done isn't the way it should be done moving forward. And we can say that 20 years from now. And I don't know what the issue will be 20 years from now. But 
you know, you, you look at everything that changes. Like there was a point people didn't wear seatbelts. There was a point where people weren't educated that smoking is bad for your lungs. That there's, you know, that perceptions change constantly uh, over a lifetime and over the course of many years with a business. And I just think that this is one that it's an idea whose time has probably long since come. And also keep in mind too, I, I'm not trying to put myself front and center in this. Like I, I could have said this five years ago and I didn't, you know, I was a, ma- a media member back then. You know, I'm a, I'm a male. I haven't, you know, had a deep coverage of the women's game, you know, in the course of my career, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm actually not trying to make it about me. It's more just about, I had the idea and I was like, if I'm thinking this, somebody else must be thinking this. And, and obviously I do have a platform. And, and so I just use it for that reason. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people in this space that have done a lot more work. You know, it's, it's my own failing that I probably couldn't give you five names of women that, that should be considered for jobs right now. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Corey Chevery, you know, Laura Schuler's coach, you know, a long time and and coached the the Canadian women's Olympic team in in 2018. I I know there are others out there, but my point is I'm, I'm no expert in this space by any stretch. I'm just merely trying to help further the conversation or or give it somewhere else to go. And and as I said, I didn't put a a whole lot of thought into it, but I don't regret it either. Danielle Sauvageau. So we have three. Daniel Goyette, who was literally behind an ECHL bench a couple months ago. So that's Julie four. Chu. Julie Chu won a national championship with Concordia. Uh, it, it was was in, was even helping out at Lightning's pro- prospect camp, like in, in 2021, like, like the beginning of, of the season. Like they exist. Vicky Sanahara well, is another name as well. Like they exist. And let's circle back on that point. You asked, like, what are teams doing? There are teams that are inviting women to those types of camps. And that's been happening. Like that hasn't, didn't just happen last summer. It's, it's been happening. Yes. I imagine, I imagine you'll see more of that in the future. Like I, I, I only think it's going to go in that forward direction. And so, you know, it's not to, to bring this up and say like, Hey, everybody's screwed up here. No one's doing anything. Like, I don't think that that really wasn't the intention. It's more just, you know, maybe this could be happening at a little quicker speed that maybe, maybe they're, I don't know what, I don't know what someone's waiting for. I kind of feel like I really believe that you're going to see one female hired as an assistant coach. And then there's going to be like four, like in, in a month. Like, I, I don't know why, I don't know why someone's waiting to be the first. Cause it, it's pretty evident to me that there's going to be multiple. And then, you know, there'll obviously be a point in the future where we're not even having this conversation. I mean, um, I don't know if you highlight this for an ask CJ question, but I'll, I'll preempt you if you did someone, Someone building off that tweet thread said, like, what what order do you think we'll see? You know, first female assistant coach, first female head coach, first female general manager. My view is is the order of that would be first female assistant. Um, just because again, it's obvious and there are people that could do the job today. Then I think we'll see a first female general manager actually before a head coach. And I say that, and I say that because we already have women working in front offices. And and you know, in many cases, um, you know, whether it's it's Rachel Dory, uh, Emily Castengay, Cami Granato. I mean, they're newer in those jobs. And so it's going to take Amanda time. Castle just joined the Penguins. Right. Exactly. And and so it's there's going to be a period of experience that needs to be had. I'm not I don't know when we're going to see it. But to me, it's, it's inevitable. We'll see that probably before a female head coach, because I think ultimately the first female head coach will come from someone who is an assistant. Uh, and maybe becomes an associate and maybe like works their way up that way. And, and since we don't have an assistant at the top level of men's hockey yet, that that's the order I see it going in. And, and there will probably be a time in our lifetime. Cause I, I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon, my friend, 
Um, where, where we don't have to talk about this. Like it, it, there, there will be a time where I think it, it will cross that threshold, but we're not there yet. And so, yeah, I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to create a podcast topic. I, I wasn't, again, really trying to be critical of anything. I was just more sharing what was on my mind at a time when someone who has that ability to hire within NHL organizations might read that tweet and might think for themselves or might, you know, make some extra phone calls. Who knows? I think, I think, it's going to come soon, but is it this off season or next is kind of the only question for me. I can't wait until we have like a segment where we talk about coaching news and then you're just like, Oh, Hey, well, it looks as if this organization is looking at this person and we're just like, Oh, okay. That's cool. We treat it as if like, it, like anything else. Yeah. Then I think that day is going to come soon. Uh, we're not that yeah, far. We're not talking about diversity hiring here, actually. Like it's, it's more about, you know, qualified candidates. I just think that there's a pool of qualified candidates that had kind of been preempted from left out of the process. And that that's, that's where I'm coming at it from. I'm not saying just hire a woman to hire a woman. I'm saying why aren't the top female coaches getting more consideration for these jobs? Again, I'm talking probably initially to join as the junior member of the, of an NHL team's coaching staff. I mean, I, I recognize there's still a learning curve involved, but you know, whether it's former players, uh, male players, I mean, there's a lot of people that get hired to an NHL staff that, that don't have a ton of direct experience, but Marte St. Louis just got a job off that. Right. But they've shown, you know, that, that they have a long history in the sport. They've shown that, that they have some intelligence or, or something else that's, that's made them qualified to at least get that on the job type of training or, 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 you know, allowed to grow into the role, even if they're not incredibly experienced in the moment. And I, I just, you know, it just seems to me that, there's a pool of candidates that that need to start being part of those conversations and and preferably like by next week, as soon as, you know, some of these coaching decisions start to be made around the league. Yeah. And, and once those teams start doing that, I think we'll start to see more and more fans catch up to that reality that women's hockey players are, are hockey players and, and, and people who can work in any front office and not just in the women's game. I think a domino effect is about to happen. We're on the verge of that. I think we're both pretty hopeful that could happen. So I'm glad we were able to get to that topic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's one other thing I want to get to before Ask CJ, uh, which is obviously the segment we do on every Monday where we have a whole bunch of questions come in where you can ask CJ literally anything. Have you been following this Robin Leonard back and forth season-ending surgery, not season-ending surgery, slash Vegas Golden Knights trying to save their season playoff hopes on life support story that has been a thing for the last couple of days? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, it's clear Robin Leonard has been playing with an injury. Um, you know, I think for some time now, 
you know, a month or so ago, we missed a set of games, came home from a road trip early. There's, there's been all kinds of different reports out there, even going back a month or two about his injury status. And, you know, it's been a really difficult year for him. It's been a difficult year for that team, that organization in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think all you really need to know is let's not overthink it. They played the most important game of their season on Sunday night. And Logan Thompson was their starting goaltender. And I don't think that was, you know, I don't think that was a coach's decision. I, you know, I, I think physically Robin Leonard's having a difficult time playing right now or else he's, you know, you're, he's kind of your ride or die for lack of a better term. He's your, he's, he's the guy you would be putting in that position if, if he could play. And so, you know, in terms of everything that went down with the season ending surgery reports from, from Emily Kaplan, Jesse Granger, to him backing up Sunday night, you know, I don't think that those reports were straight wrong. That, that was something Robin Leonard was either seriously contemplating or had decided to do. Um, it sounds like since those reports came out, they, there was, you know, a little, little bit more meeting and introspection about this end of the season. And, you know, even with as difficult as that loss was for the Golden Knights on Sunday night, I mean, there's still a path. They have a great last week of the regular season and anyone stumbles just a little bit ahead of them, they can still get into the playoffs. Uh, it's not looking good right now. They're, they're, they're on life support, but you know, maybe we see Robin Leonard play one of those games. I don't know if he can find a way to, to play through what, what he's been dealing with. Uh, I, I do think it's pretty evident though. He'll be having surgery at some point when the season's over, if not before, um, just because of, of the injuries he's been battling this year. Have you also been noticing that there seems to be a section of fans who are actively rooting for Vegas to miss the playoffs too? Like they've kind of brought up this reputation as this team that a lot of people seem to love to hate and not want to see succeed. And I'm not just talking Canucks fans looking at their team having a 0.0001% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, there are a lot of people, I forgot who tweeted it, but I think there were a lot of people who were texting the sh uh, guys on the Sharks saying like, hey, thank you very much for the win because you're keeping our playoff hopes alive. Well, sour grapes are a thing in life, man, not just in hockey. That's and, true. And, you know, all Vegas has done since entering the league is just win. I mean, how many, how many teams, like how far would you have to go back with the, like how many playoff series has Vegas won? I mean, they won three in their first season. They've been to a couple conference finals. They've won like seven or eight playoff series already as an organization. Um, you know, how far back would you have to go in Maple Leafs history just to pick what's off the top of my head to have eight? Uh, the Panthers have never won eight playoff series and they, they were born in 1996. So, you know, and again, and we can go through a number of teams. I'm not picking on those two in particular. It's just, it's merely to say that some teams have been fan, some fans have been, you know, supporting a team for 20 or 30 years and not seen their team win eight playoff series over that time. And Vegas wins that in their first four. And so, you know, I think that goes for players and everyone. I mean, there's, there's a little jealousy there. Um, you know, I know they haven't lifted the big shiny silver trophy, but they've done just about everything you can do without doing that. And so I guess there's, there's some of that going around. Uh, I still love going to Vegas. I, you know, I was there in that cup final against Washington, the, the golden misfits era. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think they've done everything. As an organization, they've done a lot right in, in launching their team. And, and, you know, building up a legitimate fan base. Like it's, it, it's not just the, the 18 or 19 or 20,000 people at each game. I mean, it's the, the Golden Knights have really made an impact in their community. And yeah, they've, they've caught the attention of people around the league who wish they could have the same kind of success. And you need teams like that in, in any professional sports league where it's a lot easy to kind of hit on because that's just a good way to get fans 
into the sport. It's a good way for fans to kind of get into whatever rivalries are out there. You need the, a team like the Vegas Golden Knights to turn heel and have like a snarky social media account, which I, I don't know who's running it now, but the guy who was running the first year in the Golden Misfits era, whoever the person was, per, male, female, whoever. Yeah, dude, he was great. That was awesome. No disrespect to whoever's followed up after him, but Dan was really good at, at running social for that Vegas team. And again, no disrespect, but Dan was really good. But all that to say, Vegas, uh, the Golden Knights, like the, the fact that people are kind of hating on them the way that they are, you need that. You need that for the sport of hockey. And again, I don't know what's going to happen this last week. I, I would, you know, I just look at the percentage odds of them making the playoffs is very low. So let's imagine they miss the playoffs. They're going to be good next year. Like whenever it comes time to do preseason predictions, you know, I think we'd be foolish not to be considering them to be consider this more of an outlier year than a predictor of where things are headed uh, for them. So, so they will be full heel when they return next year and they just dominate the league. Speaking of predictions, that gives me an idea for Thursday's show. Maybe I'll talk about it on Thursday. Anyway. Time for Ask CJ, the uh, segment where we take in questions from all of y'all, either off Twitter or on Discord. I got a really weird one to start off on Twitter from Fulton Reed. Chris, love your work. Fulton from the Globe. I'm assuming means Globe and Mail. What is your view on strawberry milk? It's been a hot topic. Personally, I think it is horrendous. Thoughts? I didn't know strawberry milk was a hot topic. I was going to say, can we take full, because I have not heard anything about strawberry milk. I've ever. never seen anything about that. Like I haven't tried it. I mean, I guess I had a strawberry milkshake at some point in my life. Even that's been a long, long way back. Um, I don't have any strong views on strawberry milk. I don't, I don't really drink milk these days almost at all. So um, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't drink strawberry milk unless there was a real compelling reason to do so. You're not a cereal guy? No. I actually can't oh. remember the last time I had a glass of milk. It's probably multiple years. Wow. So you're not even like an oat milk guy. That was interesting. I mean, okay. I, I would, I've had it. I've had oat milk and like a latte now and then, but that's not even regular. I mean, on, as you know, I'm a black coffee guy, Julian. So I, I don't need milk there. Shout out. Good, good coffee. I'm uh, been enjoying some of their work again this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I, I, I try to avoid dairy where possible. I do eat some cheese because it's hard to hard to resist the temptation when you don't have any kind of allergy. But in general, I try to to, to keep the dairy intake low. Have you heard the? Um, I forget which brand it's for. It's like a cereal brand that like the SDP like uh, like ad, has it has ads on their podcast for, and they'll do these ad reads. There's like one ad read where <laughs> Adam was talking about the cereal being spicy. I just think it gives him like heartburn or whatever. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh, imagine you have a cereal and you need Pepto Bismol to have after that. That's supposed to be the opposite of what cereal is. Cereal is supposed to be so easy on you in the morning, anyway. Oh man, that Adam treating cereal like his Frank's red hot sauce. Or no, he put his Frank's on there with his, with his strawberry milk, and he's like, "Why does this taste so weird?" My chest. <laughs> Okay, let me let me let me compose myself. Hey, don't don't yes that, but also I if your cereal is that spicy, man, just, I have questions. This one is from Dalsy on Twitter. This one's a little bit more serious. 
Within a week, we have seen one ref kick a puck to a player that wouldn't have gotten it. And a pair of refs demonstrate they don't know what the rules are. The Gallagher hand pass non-review, which I was in the building for, and that is ridiculous. Actually, I was in the building. I was watching on TV, but it was ridiculous that that went through. Is it time that the NHL needs to start publicly addressing major refereeing mistakes? Well, selfishly, I'm a journalist. So, yeah, I'd love that because, I mean, it gives us fuel to discuss these things. It gives us more to chew on. Um, but I, I don't get a feeling that that's the way it's going at all. Uh, you know, I think that they're sensitive, if anything, they're sensitive to the criticism. And, you know, we talked about it at the recent GM meetings, the, the GMs were reminded that if, if they or their coaching staffs are publicly critical of refs, that they're going to face fines. And, you know, we saw Rod Brindamore get nailed with the fine earlier this year. I think there's been a couple others for criticizing referees. So if anything, I think they're going the other way. They're trying to stifle that kind of talk or keep it to the side. Um, but yeah, let's, let's just call my bias. It would be better for my job and more interesting if all that stuff was named publicly, if they did what the NFL and the NBA do, where they publish reports about missed calls in, in big parts of the game or, you know, sort of openly acknowledge them. But I, I don't get the feeling that's uh, at all where, where the league's mindset is at. And so I don't expect to see that anytime soon. Could you imagine if the NHL did like what they do in rugby and they sort of do in the NBA too? where as the ref as a referee is reviewing a call they're mic'd up the whole time so you can hear them like kind of discuss their process or they're thinking of how a play should go down like could you imagine a referee like reviewing a play even if like it goes to toronto or anything like that and for the entirety of that time they're reviewing like you're not just looking at them looking over a play you're hearing them discuss with another referee about oh okay i saw this this is happening and then they come to the conclusion uh, where they announce if it's a goal or not a goal or whatever call they want to make. Could you imagine that? I can absolutely imagine that because I think that's where business interests are going to drag them there. I mean, why is everyone all of a sudden big F1 fans? Because all the, the you know, behind the scenes stuff with, with the, the Netflix series has turned everyone into characters in, in that series. And, and it's made people more interested in the sport itself because they know who Toto Wolf is or, you know, they get to see the drivers in a different light. And so I think that, sports is going to keep going in that, that direction where fans want to know the whole thing. They want to know the real thing. A lot, most fans aren't going to mind the odd swear word if that's what comes across as part of that access. And so, yeah, I think business interests will drive every sport more in that direction. Um, but I, I just can't give you a time frame on it. Uh, it. But it's very obvious to me. I understand why there's some pushback from those in power because it's scary to do that a little bit. You lose control of the narrative, so to speak. But I, I just think that people, there's going to be such a huge demand for that kind of content and that kind of access to the, the people that, that impact the games. And so, yeah, I, I can absolutely imagine that happening. Just might take a little while. Okay. Next one from uh, David J. Bowles. Which of the Canadian teams do you believe will make the deepest playoff run? I'm going with Calgary. I think it's the safest bet if, if we're doing this. Let's call the playoffs what they are, and I think we're going to get into this more on Thursday. It, it, there's so little between so many teams in the league. Like, I think we're going to – like, I don't even know if we're going to be able to call them upsets, but there's probably going to be some surprises. But, you know, when you're looking at this kind of exercise, I just look at the road through the Pacific Division to be slightly easier than what the, the Maple Leafs will finish uh, face coming through the – trying to come through the Atlantic. 
you know, I think Calgary is very playoff ready the way they play and they control a lot of the play at five on five. They don't give up a whole lot. They've got a great goaltender. Um, You know, I I just think that they're a team that's built to grind out two, one and three, two wins at the toughest games of the year. And those factors to me suggested they're the most likely to make that run. That, that being said, if, if it ends up being even Edmonton, I mean, Edmonton's sort of quietly, um, come on here in this, this later portion of the schedule. I, I know they lost Sunday, but they've gotten better goaltending, much better goaltending than they were getting under Dave Tippett. I think that's been probably the biggest change in their team. Uh, their penalty kills getting back to respectability after, a, you know, an early season swoon. Uh, they obviously have the impact sort of game breaking talent, but that, that, that's sort of unchanged from other years, but I could see Edmonton going on a run. And, and similarly, I think the Maple Leafs are capable of it. I, I just think it's going to be tougher from where they are. And so I'll give Calgary the edge on the way they play the division they play in. And I feel a little safer about Jacob Markstrom than whatever version of Miko Koskin and Mike Smith, Jack Campbell, uh, Eric Schalgren, maybe Peter Morazic, you know, give the, the Oilers and, and Leafs. Okay. Uh, This one from Danny99 on Discord. Uh, This is also a bit of a more serious one. Uh, We all know that Gary Bettman is simply the spokesperson for the owners. So if hockey fans want to see real change, it feels like a seismic shift will have to come at the ownership level. Outside of Jeremy Jacobs, which owners are most opposed to change? Which owners are more more positive towards change? The second question is easier. I mean, Tom Dundon is someone in Carolina that, that, has actually even gone on the record and talked about wanting to have that play in uh, format for the playoffs, which, which, you know, we, we discussed recently. Um, and, and I think because of, you know, his background isn't primarily in hockey. He's, he comes at it with, with sort of an open mind. You know, I have to be totally honest. though. like, I, I don't, we don't have a lot of access to the owners. And so I, I can't, I don't have a good handle on who's opposed to change. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair question. It's maybe one I have to think more deeply about before giving an answer. You know, I think Ted Leonsis has always been a pretty, you know, relative to his peers, pretty thoughtful guy about change. I remember back when no one was doing this, he was like publishing his emails, you know, for fans to reach out to him. He used to, you know, answer their questions in a public forum. Uh, again, someone who's entered the sport not, not through the sport itself. And so I think use it as a business, maybe a little bit differently than someone who's come through, but you know, I, I don't have a great answer for that. I'm just being honest. It's not that I'm scared to say, but I don't know who's, I don't know exactly where all that opposition is coming from other than to think, you know, it's on a, there's a fair number of owners that, that, that feel a certain way. I mean, these tend to be older white conservative leaning people. I mean, just, just by age and demographic that own these teams. And so, you know, I think that, that, that viewpoint um, ends up being reflected in, in the way the business is uh, to this point. But, you know, again, some of those things are changing. There, there's, there's females that are part of ownership groups now. And, and when you go to a board of governors meeting, you do see women walk into the room. It isn't all white people, even though it's primarily white people. So, you know, there, there's still that room for change, but, um, you know, I, I can't tell you who's, I can't tell you who's dominating those conversations because unfortunately they don't invite me into the room for those, those meetings. Next question from Canadian chapter on discord, which by the way, if you haven't already sdpn.ca uh, is where you can find the discord link it is a really great time. Hang out there, have some fun. 
kick it, ask some questions at all the different channels. I think they're doing some special stuff for the postseason as well. Uh, so you want to check that out. Uh, from Canadian chapter, how active do you think Seattle is going to be in the offseason? Pretty active. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily see them being huge free agent players, maybe add a player or two there. But now it's going to be a slower build for them, right? They, they've compiled a fair number of draft picks. You know, we see Matty Beneers start to play his, his first couple games here at the end of the, the Kraken season. You know, he was their, their first ever pick last year. I think now it's it's doing it the old-fashioned way, which you know can take some time uh, in terms of drafting and developing those players and into impact players. You know, you're going to want to insulate those those people, and and that's where free agency or trades come into the mix to to make sure there's there's you know first of all that you're getting better and you're not you know you don't want to be finishing at the bottom of the standings every year, and and you're, you're creating a safe place for the young guys to come come along. But so you know I, I think they'll be reasonably active, but I also I don't, I don't see this being a team that feels they have to make the playoffs next season uh, as, as nice as that would be. They wouldn't turn it down, but I, I think it's going to be a slower build up, um, you know, especially because this year, you know, this year probably went a little worse than they were hoping. I think if we're being honest. And so they, they, you got to reevaluate things constantly. The, the future is going to be bright because they, they're in a great spot with, with very few or no bad contracts on the books. Um, you know, they, they have more flexibility as they transition to, to becoming a, a more competitive team. And they've got tons of draft picks to, that they have to make good of first and foremost. One last one for you. And this might be the strangest one of all the questions we've gotten today from Red Shark. It's stranger than strawberry milk. I think huh. uh, from Red Shark Pack on Discord. What is bread? What is bread? What is bread? I don't have an answer for that. I've never made bread. Um, you never needed dough? <laughs> I, I, not really. No, I don't think so. Maybe when I was a kid or something, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not much of a baker. It probably doesn't surprise you. But uh, <laughs> I don't have a good answer for that one. I mean, bread is what I like to put my Maybe. Yeah, like I don't know if bread, I mean, I feel like it's an open-ended enough question. I don't think they're necessarily thinking, hey, explain to me what bread is, but maybe bread means something to you. That's different from someone else. I'm trying to avoid bread these days too, although not always successfully. Damn. I'm trying, what's the CJ diet like? No milk, <laughs> no bread. <laughs> well, you know, just trying to trying to make sure I'm here for a few more years, my friend. Are you trying to, do you just put like stacks of fish fillets on top of each other and just put like vegetables in between? Is that how you go about your life? Something like that. I mean, <laughs> just trying to eat more real foods. That's good. But maybe if we were all a little bit more like CJ, we'd all have, we'd all get to live a few more years on this planet. Uh, I'm glad we were able to do this episode today, buddy. Uh, great show as always. Thank you all for watching uh, Ask CJ and also the CJ show, the grand show that we do Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, there's another show that drops on Monday too. Uh, some Steve Dangle podcast show with him and Jesse and Adam, those people, I'm sure you've all heard so much about it. Uh, Agent Provocateur, I believe, should have an episode that come that should be out by now. I think they have a really big episode that's supposed to come out today with Rick Westhead. Yes, I remember that they were promoting it on the last episode of the STP. Rick Westhead is supposed to be the special guest 
on uh, the latest edition of Asia Provocateur. I definitely want to pay attention to that. And, uh, you know, while you're here, you might as well check out all the other great shows, uh, the Jesse Blake Sports Report, which uh, apparently the name still survives to this day, and uh, go back on some episodes of Noxie and Cax and check out Game Over Montreal. The season's almost over, uh, but uh, Andrew, Berkshire, Andrew Berkshire is still cooking, and there will be more Game Over shows across the country that will be coming out for the playoffs. See, do you have any final words before we wrap this up? Not really. Bless Andrew Berkshire. I can't believe he did a whole season of game overs. That's that's a lot of commitment. That's a lot of late nights. So props to him. And next Monday, bud, we're going to do our show. And it's going to be the first day of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Pretty, pretty crazy. Pretty wild to think that part of our scheduling next Monday is we, when we always get in the group chat and figure out when we're going to record this thing. It might be because one or both of us have to go to a playoff game that night. Uh, we're more, it's more likely going to be you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, based on geography, it's going to more likely be me. But um, it's just crazy to think that we're that close to, for me, the, the best time of the year. So be safe, everyone, and let's, uh, let's get her done. Oh, there's one other thing I should mention, too. Uh, thank you to everyone so far who's been contributing to the CJ Show fan poll, where we're getting people to uh, write in their, their ballots for who they think should, should win all the different uh, NHL awards. We've had a couple hundred people put in their ballots so far. Please keep that going. Uh, I don't know if I have the link to that in the description on the YouTube show, uh, but please get on that because we're trying to get as many people as possible. And ahead of that, and ahead of the playoffs, we'll go through uh, what most people are thinking for each individual award. Couple obvious uh, answers so far, uh, but I think we're going to be in for some pretty interesting discussions off what people have been voting on to this point. It's it's really interesting. I don't know if you had a chance to, I'll actually send you the form and when we get a chance off the show, just so you can get a sense of what's going on. But like, it's it's been pretty nuts. And I just want to say to everyone, thank you for for contributing to that so far. And All the right. official ballots are due next Monday too, May 2nd. So mm. we're, we're getting to where these award conversations are real. Like there, there'll be real ballots going in here in the next few days. Oh man. So I can't wait for that conversation when it comes time for that. For CJ, I'm Julian, saying so long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JKMcKenzie.